welcome back to another episode of Behind the Rainbow. I'm your host, Elaine Chaya. If you don't follow me on Instagram, I always started off saying follow me on Instagram because that's the way I love to connect with you guys when you DM and message me your thoughts on the episode. My Instagram is Elaine Chaya, E-L-A-I-N-E-C-H-A-Y-A. I'm going to put in the show notes. You can find me there as well. Please make sure you subscribe to this podcast, share this, write me ratings and reviews. It's not just because I want world domination and everyone to follow me and write me ratings and reviews, but it's super important because the more reviews I get, the more people will listen to this and the more that I can keep going and getting episodes up for you guys. So please, 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 it's super important to write a review and share this episode with everyone so that I can have these important conversations and topics and keep doing this for you guys because I really do love doing this podcast. So on today's episode, I think we're getting like more and more serious as we go along. And you know what? I think it's really important to talk about every kind of topic. Last week, we talked about eating disorders and body dysmorphia. And this week, we're talking about getting sexually abused. And I know this is a very serious topic and I think that there are a lot of people who are secretly living with these issues and haven't been able to find ways to talk about it publicly, whether with their friends, with their family. It's a trauma that people are struggling with. And on today's episode, I have the most amazing, beautiful lady, Trista Lee, who is someone who's knowledgeable in child advocacy and how to navigate parents to deal with traumas, whether it's in their own lives or their children. And so she gives a lot of advice about how to get through something as challenging as being sexually abused whether you're a kid whether you're adult whether you're dealing with it now or something in the past I think the me too movement that's been happening has opened up a whole dialogue about I was sexually abused and finally I can reveal that I'm not the only one I think it's exciting that we're in a time that people can really be vulnerable and open up about things that have happened to them in their lives and so Trista gives us some good advice about how to go about dealing with the trauma from personal experiences of people in her life who have dealt with this I'm gonna put her website in the show notes so you guys can connect with her she loves to chat with anyone that needs help or advice or guidance so please make sure to reach out to her please again make sure you share this episode with everyone if you know anyone who's dealt with any kind of abuse or being sexually abused please make sure you share this with them I want everyone to you know recover and be able to move on and not let the things of their past be the stories of their future which we talk about in this episode and you'll get that reference a little more I love you guys I hope for one person at least who's listening to this this helps you a lot make sure you DM me with your thoughts so I always do a little monologue intro about the guests that I have and this one's kind of short because I'm like just really excited to meet you and I cannot believe this is the first time see this is a good thing about my podcast I get to meet people that I've always wanted to meet and I have a reason for it now so I'm with Trista Lee and I know your husband Andrew and I've known him for two years now and we went through these like self-development classes and he was just such an amazing person and really inspired me and I always say like been on this path of self-growth and discovery for myself and he's been part of that process of really getting me to be where I am but on top of him being so awesome himself anytime like literally he would have a conversation your name would come up and he would speak the world of you and he's like no 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 no, yeah me whatever but my wife Trista <laughs> like literally every time and I'm like this woman seems freaking amazing and then we're Facebook friends so I just like see your photos and your beautiful family and all that stuff and I'm like she's just awesome and the way that your husband speaks about you I'm like first of all I want my husband to speak about me that way hashtag goals but I was just like I need to meet her so you you reached out to me because you follow along my podcast and we're going to talk about amazing topics here and I was just like this just aligned in so many levels of meeting you wanting to talk about this topic and all these things and more so I'm really excited to have you on and meet you in person for the first time I too thank you for having me I'm super excited and really I want to thank you because I reached out to you I'm really excited that this is even a topic of interest to you that are willing to take your time to air we have a lot of presence 
organizations and advocacy work around children and a large commitment to parenting and breaking cycles and empowering parents and children in all areas of their life so that we can tackle topics like bullying, abuse, comfort, confidence, speaking up, all of that stuff. So I think this is really important because I mean, anyone who's worked on themselves or been therapy or any kind of self-development knows that everything that's happened in your life is triggered from childhood. So even now I'll see something happen to a kid. I'm like, oh no, that's going to affect them later if that's not handled immediately. Yes. So (laughs) SOS, like I see it now and I'm like, let me help this kid. Right. So I think this is really important because we're going to talk about the Me Too movement and how that's happened and just about really just parenting and, you know, really growing your kids to be confident in themselves and all these different topics. But I think this is really important for people hearing this whether you're a parent whether you're a teen whether you're a kid or in between to just be aware because this is all about awareness and just really seeing how impactful interactions and people can be with each other yes so tell us a little bit about yourself growing up where you're from what you do so i'm a mom of two i've been married for 10 years i'm originally from canada it's called thunder babe i come from the country the name of the country is kekabeka falls i don't know if you are familiar with the show schitt's creek which I do not say that to pose any kind of bad vibe on it. I say it because Schitt's Creek literally has one street and that is what our village was. We had one school, one grocery store. So if we had to go to the store, my mom would be like, okay, kids, we're going to the village. Let's go. Um, This is my dreams. I'm from LA. So what is a small street in town like? And by the way, my sister loves Schitt's Creek. So it's like the best show ever. It's so good. (laughs) I love it. I don't come from a wealthy family, but I had an incredible childhood. My dad would come home from work with a backhoe in the winter, make these ginormous hills for my siblings and I to go tobogganing on. We had our own skating rink. I want to be a part of this childhood. I'm a little jealous. I was a part of this. (laughs) So then how did you get yourself to LA? So I originally came out to California when I was 24 to take some acting classes. It was more so basically an excuse to kind of get out of my small town and have an experience of living with my best friend and being young and on my own. A month before I was about to go back home, my friend said, I really think you should take this course. It's called the Landmark Forum. Regardless of what you decide to do after, I just think it will benefit you and you'll enjoy it. And so I was like, okay, yeah, sure, I will take it. So I took the course and during that course, I met Andrew, who's my husband, and 12 weeks later, we got married. It's the craziest story. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Were your parents like, cool, good luck with that? My parents were very supportive. I was in a very serious relationship from like 15 to 23 with a wonderful person we even bought a home which is something that you can do in Canada our home that we bought was like $56,000 and our mortgage was a little under $500 a month cool moving to Canada that's what it is right (laughs) prices have jumped up now but that was like possible and so at that point I was very clear and adamant from I guess kind of my own experience and observation around seeing my mom and other other people who stayed in the town that I did not want to stay there. I would never get married and I definitely was never going to have kids. And then within a year, I did the landmark forum and I met Andrew and 12 weeks later got married and I think like within three and a half years, we were pregnant. 
it. Amazing. <laughs> yes. So what do you do as a profession? I've worked with children for the past 13 years in settings like daycares, as a tutor, as a nanny, as a teacher assistant, sleep trainer. What's a sleep trainer? I think I need that. Do you train people how to sleep? Babies. And I'm like baby whisperer at it. My, oh, wow. Both my kids. I have an almost six-year-old and an almost three-year-old. And from day one, both of them still to this day sleep from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Wow. Okay, need to hire you when I have kids. (laughs) Yeah, so I've always been involved in it. And then, of course, once I became pregnant, I loved diving in and learning as much as I could. So I looked into all the different types of parenting methods, some that I was exposed to from working with various families, the types of schools and educations that were out there. And so from doing that, it just kind of intertwined with my passion with children and wanting to preserve their childhood when my husband finally was able to share that he is a survivor of child sexual abuse and then also having another close family member who's a child and it happened in the past recent years and being witness to that and going through that it really threw me into the world of what does this look like why is this not talked about more what does prevention look like what does the legal system look like is there anything that can be done what's available why is there not enough support out there what can we do as parents what can children do to help benefit themselves and create confidence why is there a lack of disclosures why is there a lack of report why is there a lack of belief when a child actually chooses to disclose to somebody why is it that they're not automatically believed and in speaking with a variety of therapists to this day one of the doctors I spoke to said that a family even came for therapy and consulting because their child had disclosed that they were being sexually abused, which is a big deal in itself, and they didn't know how to respond to it. The doctor said on average it takes between six to eight sessions to work with them and coach them in how to respond and how to handle it, which really blew my mind because I just can't imagine from all my years of being with children, being a mother, knowing about my husband, and having a close child in my family be impacted by this how the automatic response wouldn't be I believe you you're safe thank you for telling me and we're gonna get through this together so I threw myself into conferences and conventions and learned about different nonprofits I took online courses with darkness to light which is a wonderful nonprofit and offers wonderful workshops that teach prevention on children how to talk to children about child sexual abuse red flags what parents can do how to become a leader in your community to bring more awareness and attention to this topic because whether you're a parent or not you're a member of a community you're a citizen you're a human being it's on us to ensure that everybody is safe that we have unity and that we protect the safety of each child and hopefully allow them to have a childhood that they don't have to recover from with Andrew or this child that you mentioned do you know how it came about that they're like there's something wrong here and I'm going to share so there's definitely on my husband's end I guess we could say red flags were that he felt that the relationship with this person went from very loving and affectionate to suddenly out of nowhere really distancing themselves becoming angry with him or frustrated 
irritated or easily irritable. Basically, the relationship deteriorating. They were still seeing each other, being in each other's lives, but there wasn't really ever a time that they could be together and not butt heads or a fight or disagreement would come out. And as he got older and we found out about the child in our family who was going through it, he started EMDR therapy. And through that process, he was able to recall more details about what happened. It's a pretty remarkable thing that we have this ability to block trauma and not remember things. But in general, red flags to look out for specifically in children are a child going from being extremely affectionate and loving to all of a sudden not wanting to hold hands or even have a hug. Somebody who would easily befriend and play with anyone to now almost being in fear of another child being close to them or another grown-up not wanting to, if they're young enough and they're in diapers, to really putting up a strong fight and having diaper changes or not wanting help in the bathroom or baths. A lot of regression in terms of, let's just say they're typically a happy, easygoing child that now all of a sudden they seem to be very easily angered and they want to hit or throw or a temper tantrum that would normally be 10 minutes is now 45 minutes. Big one if they're going to sleepovers all of a sudden, no, another time, not interested. And the list goes on and on because it's different for every child. Now, are you about your kids having sleepovers because my mom growing up never let me for this reason I never understood it and she's just like no and I'm like how are you depriving me of this do you think it's something that parents should not do anymore is it something they should be wary about I don't believe that it's something that should be stopped or prevented in fact I think that it's more reason why we need to as parents educate our children and empower them so for instance in some of the consulting and distinctions that I teach parents Children get to learn their anatomy. They get to learn that they're the boss of their body. Permission is required. Who's safe to touch them, whether it's mom or dad to help or a doctor if they're hurt. What's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Boundaries and also respecting. It's so easy to teach with kids. They model everything you do anyways. For example, with my children, if I see a friend, I'll say, hi, oh my gosh, it's so nice to see you. Can I give you a hug? Very simple, but I'm asking permission. And with my children, I'll ask them, I know you're going to see your friend, you haven't seen them in a while. If you're excited and want to give them a hug, what do you think you can do? And they'll say, well, I would give them a hug. And I'm like, yeah, you could do that. But how do you know they want a hug? Because have you ever had a day where you just didn't feel like having a hug? And they say yes. And I'm like, so what's the best way we can find out if somebody wants a hug? And they say, we can ask. I'm like, exactly. We just ask. It's simple. It's permission. So they see a friend and it's not this big dream dramatic pause of oh my gosh can I touch you it's so simple and natural and flowing and I see it with my daughter and my son when she comes home from school he's like Cece and she'll be like Baba can I hug you I missed you it's not even a thing it's not a big deal so I think that as parents we take on being responsible for implementing these distinctions and empowering our children that our children if they're at a sleepover they're either going to be confident 
feeling enough to step up and say, I'm not comfortable. This is my body. I'm the boss of it. You're not allowed to touch it. I'm going to go home. I'll tell your parent. I'm going to get my parents to pick me up. Worst case scenario, something does happen. You've now created this open, safe relationship with your child that they can come to. Of course, we want to keep our children in a bubble and protect them. I mean, my daughter just had a lockdown drill at her school, which is insane to even think that that's something that children have to deal with. But I can't pretend or hide that from her because that's a possibility. And so the best we can do is equip our children with the tools, the confidence, the respect of giving to others, as well as knowing what is right for them, knowing that they have a right to say yes or no, and that their voice matters, and that you absolutely speak up. And that empowers them, and that changes and shifts an entire generation and moves into all the different stages of their lives. As our children go through different phases, so are parents. And a lot of parents are like, ah, the puberty stage, or even at young ages when they're touching themselves. A lot of people, because of our own childhood and how we were raised, if it wasn't spoken about or depending on how a reaction was given to us in that matter, we tend to repeat the same thing. And the best thing we can do is simply observe and say, oh, I noticed you're touching your private. Because it's your privates, it's something you can do in a private space, like your room or your bedroom. No big deal, no reaction, no shame, nothing. By doing this, when your child reaches the age that maybe they're entering relationships and they're thinking about having sex, do you want them going to a peer, a friend, a stranger, nobody, or do you want them coming to you? By having these conversations and creating this as early on as possible, they're always going to come to you. It is uncomfortable at times. When I first started with my children because of my own childhood, I remember walking in on my mom, I think when I was six years old, I was so excited to show her something and I couldn't find her. So I went to her room and I opened the door and she was changing and she was like, Trista, get out of here. And she quickly covered herself. So I closed the door and I was like, oh my God, I just did something really bad. You're not supposed to change in front of somebody. And that played out later in life. I was the girl that would wait for everyone to change in gym class and leave so that I can change in privacy or I would go in a stall and do it. I would avoid going to the beach or go swimming because I didn't feel comfortable in my own body and my own skin. And when I had my daughter, even in the first year, I was uncomfortable to shower or change in front of her. And then I really had to make a conscious effort to break that cycle that was there. Of course, my parents didn't have any bad intention. They just did what their parents did with them, right? But nowadays, we have so much access and information out there that really it's on us to be informed, to be interested enough to shape and shift and change things that don't really serve us. And so I made a conscious effort. First, I would be changing her diaper and I'm like, mommy's just wiping your vagina so that you're clean. It was very <laughs> awkward. And then by the third month, I was saying it left and right. It didn't matter at all. Now it doesn't even phase me. So there's no discomfort around now, if someone is dealing with some kind of trauma, whether it's abuse, whether it's bullying, how would you encourage someone to go about speaking about it? Because people have shame around that and they don't want to share when it's related to family because a lot of abuse, sometimes bullying and stuff is triggered from family. In the Persian community especially, you do not want to ruffle feathers. You do not want to make the family look bad. You don't want to cause drama. You stay quiet in order to keep the peace is what we're taught especially. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people are. So how do you go about that if there's an issue with a family member
remember and to deal with that and to not keep quiet. You have to be willing to be your biggest advocate and you have to be willing to speak up for not just yourself, but so that you can start to break that cycle. Like I said, these mindsets that are passed down from generation to generation, and they do not serve us when it comes to these types of topics. So if we continue this, we're part of continuing the cycle of abuse. How can anything ever really change? For my husband, he was the first one to do it. It had a lot of negative impact, and we had to deal with a lot, but we had to do what was right for us. We had to do what we wanted to show and model for our children that some things may hurt, some things may not feel good, but if it's the right thing, it doesn't mean you don't do it. That's the kind of confidence that you have to have. You have to be willing to be brave enough to speak out and say, I get that this is how it's been for this long, and this isn't going to shame our family. I don't need to speak about it to the world if you don't want to, or you can, which would be great. But being the first person in your family to say, I'm not okay with this. It doesn't work. And I think that if you were to reflect on your own childhood, reflect on the impacts that it's had, that you actually deep down don't want it either. And you would want this to change. Stand for that. You have to speak up. You have to advocate. Nobody's going to do it for you. The typical saying, you got to be the change that you want to see in the world. And it's not an easy undertaking, which is why a lot of people don't do it. But if we can raise children who are confident, know who they are, know what's right, know what's wrong, have their own moral compass and aren't afraid to speak up. All of those cycles break and I can't even imagine what it looks like. It's beautiful. I know that. I know it's peaceful. I know that there's a lot of acceptance and love and no more passed on trauma or cycles that hurt us. Now, people who have had traumas and specifically abuse and sexual abuse, I'm assuming, have this feeling of shame. Like they didn't ask for this, but this happened to them and they live their life moving forward with this shameful mindset. How can people go about not living in their past and the story of what happened and being able to live in this new life and not being connected to the shame that they feel and not having that affect their relationships moving forward? I'll answer it in two parts. So if it's a child, if they are already being taught these distinctions and have a foundation with their parents that have taught them boundaries, permission, boss of body, speaking up, all of that, they will disclose, they will speak up, and it doesn't occur as shame for them because they know that they're the boss of their body. They didn't give permission, so shame doesn't even occur. They didn't do anything wrong. That other person did because they didn't listen, they didn't ask, and they did something against their will. Now, as an adult who didn't have those two tools or didn't have access to that or passed down from their parents and have trauma and are now in their adulthood in relationships it takes a willingness and a want to recognize that you're carrying a burden most likely because you feel you have to protect someone or something and once you can accept that that's not on you to do then you can start the healing process and the first step to healing is disclosing even if it's to a perfect stranger, once you make that disclosure, a little bit of power starts to come back. 
and then it's on you. Whether your form of healing is through therapy, whether it's through workshops or things like landmark, self-empowering books, you need to be responsible at some point that you are no longer this child. You didn't ask for it. You didn't do anything wrong, but you are responsible for how it is impacting now. And something that my husband and I say to ourselves, something that we say to our children is that it's not what happens to you in life that defines you. It's what you choose to do with what happened to you. My husband can choose to be a victim. He has every right to. Nobody could fault him for that. No child deserves to be abused, but instead he chose to empower himself, speak out about it, bring awareness about it, bring it into his parenting, break the cycle with friends, families, losing people and relationships because he stood and believed so much for it. And that comes from that mindset. And it really is a choice that you just have to be willing to be responsible for how life has turned out so far because of it and you're not stuck with it but the only person that can make you unstuck is yourself in terms of relationships I mean maybe not with you because you guys got married like 12 weeks later but do you know in his past relationships when he was dating if he had challenges becoming close with people that he was dating because of this abuse that he had before did he maybe work through that or come to the point that once he met you he was totally all in and not questioning anything anymore <laughs> More. I mean, I think the landmark form had a lot to do with that for sure. But yeah, he definitely had challenges from being taken advantage of. Like friends would tell him, hey, you know, your girlfriend at this time is really not kind or respectful of you and pretty demanding and you just kind of go along with it and accept it. He couldn't even see that for himself. They stayed together, I think, for like two years. He was in a relationship and being treated a certain way and wasn't aware because that's normal. What our childhood looks like is what becomes our norm. And so that's what we seek out. And whether we consciously know that it's not healthy, it doesn't remove the fact that it brings us comfort because it's familiar. So we seek it out. He definitely was a relationship guy, but also went through some phases where he was just super unattached, didn't connect, didn't want to, focused on career, and made that his thing basically to have to avoid really addressing what was there for him. Was it after he addressed it that he was able to become more attached and more connected? Yes. So the Me Too hashtag movement, it's super trending. Can you explain for people who don't know what it is, what is that? And why do you think this conversation is super important to be had? For me, the hashtag Me Too movement is really just a huge platform that kind of seemingly exploded out of nowhere and suddenly gave thousands of survivors of abuse to finally share their story, have their voice be heard, celebrities being able to actually come forward and feel like it's okay okay and safe to actually share about their experiences and what they went through. So I think that it really brought the severity and the amount, the occurrence, that it happens way more than what people think. Some are like, this is getting a little carried away. It's too much. Everybody seems to like have this now. There's the other 50% where it's kind of gotten to the point of, okay, so now there's this platform people can speak up, but what is this opening the door for. Nonprofits only have so much 
finance and money to be able to support and offer different services. So what is this really leading to and opening up to? Which is a great question. It's worth looking into and it's valid to see what this movement can really do and what we can take a look at and layers to peel back to make it even more effective, whether it's prevention, education, awareness, inclusivity, changing the verbiage. There are men out there who are survivors themselves. There are men out there who support women and want to be a part of it and almost feel excluded. Like they don't feel safe or comfortable to speak up even though they want to. If we can look at that and find access to creating that inclusivity, I think a lot can change for the good. What would you define someone of being part of the hashtag Me Too movement? Because people are like, oh, this guy touched me. Me too. I'm just trying to understand when people are like hashtag Me Too, I feel like people are just throwing it out now like loosely. In a sense, somebody who's saying hashtag Me Too, they don't owe anybody their story, right? My husband doesn't owe it to anybody to share what happened to him. He has every right to include himself in the hashtag Me Too and somebody on the outside could be oh here's this guy and here he is throwing out the hashtag me too wonder what happened to him taylor swift i don't know if you saw her documentary miss americana she talks about how there was some reporter or something who touched her butt and my friend was like i'm sorry she's taking this way out of proportion and it's offensive to people who have actually been sexually abused so that to me falls in line from what i've seen in my work with somebody who has been hurt well her butt was touched i was raped so i'm actually a victim that's nothing and so we dismiss it there's no line of what's worse or what's not both are equally it robs you of your sense of security it robs you of feeling like you have the ability to speak up and have permission as to who can touch you where it's appropriate and where it's not and it robs us of being able to think that well it wasn't so bad so let it be and to be clear he put his hand under her skirt and was holding her butt that is absolutely assault did he penetrate her and rape her no But does that make it any better or worse? Absolutely not. I can't remember how old she was in that time, but I cannot imagine if I was that age and somebody did that to me, what that would do. And then to be told and questioned, which is on a whole other topic with the justice system, but to be questioned, well, why didn't you move away? Why did you stand so close to him? Why is it on her to have anything to do with his behaviors and his actions. We are asking the wrong questions and focusing on the wrong things. And it's creating a division and creating a political stance around something that is a basic human right, which is that we have the right to either agree to have somebody touch us or not. And it is to be respected, period, and vice versa. It comes back to where I feel like we're so easily able to dismiss and lack any kind of compassion and even worse, want to care and learn and understand more. So for me, when I see that, I don't think you owe me an explanation, but I wonder what happened. Were you a child? Were you attacked in a street? Were you raped? Were you molested? What happened? Because all of that is valid and all of that leaves scars 
scars that you're going to deal with for the rest of your life. And it is one of the most prevalent health conditions right now with children because any kind of abuse like this leads to self-harming, eating disorders, addiction, pregnancy, becoming a repeat victim, becoming provocative and seeking out that attention, suicide, isolation, not being able to trust, connect with people, numbing themselves, dropping out of school. Those are things that unless you have somebody who you can reach out to for support and you feel safe and can trust, that's what you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. You say a quote that you had mentioned to me, the secret of change is to focus on all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but building on the new. Why do you love this so much? And how can people use this to shift their mindset and not living in their trauma? I love it because it's not forcing us to remain in a standstill or remain stuck in the past or more specifically in an event. Say an abuse or assault happens, that becomes frozen and you carry that around with you year after year and now you're in your 30s or your 40s and you're still living as if that event is happening to you right now. So if we focus on a new, that opens up possibilities that if we're in the past, we don't have options. We just get to relive it over and over and over where's the access to moving forward if you're just going to remain stuck in there and repeat it there's no escape there's no possibilities there but if you focus on a new then you get to be in this creative part of like wow okay so if I'm going to create something new what could that look like does it look like me being a voice for this does it look like me writing a book does it look like me speaking about it does it look like me going to support groups and offering up my story and taking from others and moving on does it open me up for wanting to affect children schools does it make you want to be the person in your family to be the first one to finally speak up and break a cycle you've done so much work on yourself your husband has work on your kids to be like the best that they can be but I'm sure there are days that things go wrong and there's struggles that we go through so I always play this game with my guests about like what was something challenging that has gone on in the past week or so and how have you been working through it or how did you work through it? So recently my son was diagnosed with autism and I took him and my daughter to the park a few days ago. Normally it's an enjoyable experience most of the time and this particular day for some reason, I don't know why, but I had between three to five people make comments to me because they would come by and my son would come screaming and running to me, which is what he does if somebody approaches him or walks by too fast and people would say things like, oh, he's just really shy or, oh, boys are like that. I remember my boys, they're less social than girls, a bunch of different comments. And I felt really torn in how to respond because when I just had my daughter, somebody said that to my daughter, like, hi, and she'd kind of turn and be like, oh, you're shy. I'm like, no, she's not shy. She's just slow to warm or doesn't feel like saying hi right now because these things, they land in a child's head. I was told this as a child, so I had it for like eight years that, oh, I'm shy. So this is how I'm supposed to be because I've been told this. So that's what I'm going to do. So I was really conflicted in how to respond to it. So I shared with a few of them that he actually has autism and he, within 30 minutes, kept pulling and screaming on me and asking me to go home. And I kind of had a moment 
moment where I just kind of broke down because I felt so sad for him that the world occurs so scary for him and that as his mom, I can't fix it. Or at least I don't have a quick fix for it. I looked at all the other children playing and running around and I want that for them. And I want it for myself, too. As a mom, I want to see my kids be confident and independent and able to be out there. And they're great, and they have amazing support, and he's already made a ton of progress, and I know it's going to get better. But there are definitely days where the repetitiveness, the cycle, the screaming to ask for a bagel, for example, for 30 minutes, and then I make it for him, and then he doesn't want it, or the random coming to bite you because he gets so excited or anxious or nervous and he has to do that and it gets very tiring and you have to exercise so much patience and compassion and some days by 3 or 4 p.m. I'm just done. I hit my wall and my kind of like go-to thing from my own childhood is that I suck things up. I can get through anything and I'm starting to allow myself to have those moments where it's okay, you know, and I let myself have it for 10 to 15 minutes and then I move on and create a different context whether it's like I'm gonna end the day on a positive note we're gonna play music because I know my son loves to dance let's do that let's read a book we'll make dinner together just be really intentional about shifting that so that I don't get stuck and lose my way I love that and it's really hard when people are like super down about something to really push themselves to be encouraging because you could play the victim and be like I'm just gonna be sad exactly Yes. So it's really important and it's really great that you shared that you actually like really mindfully work on putting a positive mindset and but you let yourself be sad. You allow Absol- that to happen too. Absolutely. But don't live in that and stay in that. Yes. Now, if there's one final takeaway or message that you want to leave these listeners with about everything, you've said so many amazing things. I hope everyone <laughs> has taken notes. What would it be? I would say that as a parent or even if you aren't a parent, you're just part of a family, educate yourself be interested enough and value yourself enough to spend the time to find the information and educate yourself on healing, on how to empower children, how you can model it out there in the world and take on being a leader in your community and creating a safer world for children and empowering parents to become informative and take a stance for what they're going to instill in their children and break the cycles that is like the biggest thing we need to break the cycles if we want to see any kind of change or shift from any kind of abuse any kind of bullying we need to break the cycles I love it so I'm going to put in the show notes ways for people to contact you I'm sure so many people are going to want to reach out to you so please you guys share this episode it's super important for everyone to hear this message so my outro is until next time and I always ask my guests to do it so do you mind saying until next time Until next time.